We were there in worship, and Wes was saying, just take a moment. I believe in God's going to give us visions and things like that. Uh, immediately when he said that, I just shut my eyes, and I said, all right, Lord, you're giving visions. I want one. And I saw the Lord, and I, I don't know if it was an angel. I'm going to say an angel, like in this corner of the room. And he said, he's writing down. It's a book of remembrance. And, and uh, Malachi 3.16 says this, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day, I will make them my jewels. <laughs> on that day, I will make them my jewels. He said, I'm writing a book of remembrance. That's so good. So what is that? As we were here, we were worshiping. As you pressed into a place of worship, maybe you've never been before, the Lord said, I'm watching. For those who fear me, and what did he say? Listen, I didn't, he said, so I, a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. What were we doing? We were meditating on his name. We were worshiping him, and he said, I've, I've written a book. I'm writing in my book of remembrance. You know, what is that like? I don't, I don't know, but here's what I know. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're, uh, we're grafted into father, to faithful Abraham, and Abraham, these are the covenants that was given to Abraham, and this is who God was going to be to his people. I know God doesn't get bored, but I think there might be times, even like a king, in the old covenant, a king, that, that was how uh, Esther was spared. The king couldn't sleep, and he called for the scribe to come in and read from the accounts of what had happened in his kingdom. And as he came in, he heard about Esther's uncle, Mordecai, and how Mordecai had saved the king's life. And he said, what's been done for him? And they said, nothing. Haman thought he was going to be honored. So that morning, the king called in Haman. He said, what should I do for a man to show him all this honor? And Haman had, a, had got the king to make a decree to kill all of the Jews. Are you listening? I'm talking about a book of remembrance. He, he said, he said, uh, Haman wanted him to kill all the Jews. Keys made a, king made a decree blindly, not knowing exactly what it was. And Haman came in. He called Haman in that morning. He said, what, what should I do to honor him? And Haman thought it was him. He said, if I was you, I'd get one of your robes. I'd get your best horse. And I would put him on that horse in your robe, and I would make him, I would parade him before everybody, call a, a, an assembly and have him paraded through and say, this is a man in whom the king delights. And the king said, hey, man, that's an awesome idea. Go get Mordecai, get my robe, put it on him, put him on the horse, and you go before Mordecai and you declare, here's a man in whom the king has, has, uh, has set his presence on, that he's well pleased. And Haman hey, said he was, he was, there was deep sorrow inside of him because he was like, what is going to happen now? These are the people I wanted to kill. And now he's being honored? How did that happen? There was a book of remembrance. They had written down. King wasn't even aware of it. Now, I know that's not God. God is aware. He's not uh, on vacation. He doesn't, he's not missing what's going on in here today. But he, it said here in Malachi, there, for those who fear the Lord, those who meditate on him, there's a book of remembrance. There's a book of remembrance. So I say that to say this. What you did today wasn't empty or futile. It was... <clears throat> The Lord calling you into a new place with him. That's precious. Listen, I, as we were worshiping, the Lord just, this old song, and if I could sing, I would sing it, but 
I'm going to spare you. This old song by uh, Hillsong, it just kept stirring on the inside of me. And I feel like the Lord is saying, here's what we have the opportunity to, to do today. You know, last Sunday, Mel just went after it and is talking about us uh, giving our all to him and stuff like that. And so many times we can just say that emptily, on empty words. But this song came to my heart as we were in worship. It's, Psalm, uh, it's Hill Songs, I Give You My Heart. And it says this, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. May that be the declaration of our hearts. God, I give you my heart. I'm not here to do a religious service on a Sunday morning. God, I give you my heart. My soul, what's your soul? Your mind, will, your emotions. Lord, I give you my soul. I I live for you alone. Every breath I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Jesus, that's so amazing. So I want to, in light of all of that, it just, I just love Holy Spirit and how he ministers and how he speaks through many voices. And that's the beauty of serving a living God and being a body, of being a body that when he speaks, he doesn't just speak through one talking head. Amen. Amen. And we saw, we've seen that today through, through the different words that were given, through Katie and the new song that she sang, through the others, that, through uh, Molly as she led in worship, and the different ones that, and the words that came up with Wes and with Eddie, the different words. That's him speaking. That's him speaking. And that's what Wes was talking about. He's calling us in that place where we hear clearer. We hear more clearly so that we know what he's saying, that the, the distractions, Luis, I'm sorry, Luis was saying the distractions fade away when we silence those things. It's so easy to live a distracted life. So last week we talked about Matthew 25 and the talents, and, and the Lord just won't let me get away from that. And he's just really been speaking to my heart about it, and that with Hebrews, he's been just kind of melding these things together because I, I really believe God is looking for that people, not that church with the name out front, but that people, his church, his body. He's looking for that people who say yes, who say, yes, God, I want you more than I want anything else, more than I want fame, more than I want the accolades of people around me. I want you. And I want to steward what you've given me. We talked about the talents last week, but I want to go back and just pull a few things out of this passage of Scripture. In chapter 25, verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered, them his goods, and delivered his goods to them. And we talked about this. To one, he gave five talents, which was basically $5 million. To another, he gave two talents, which is $2 million. To another, one. Listen, this is something I didn't really spend a lot of time on last week, but I want to just park for just a moment on. He said this, the, very, the end of verse 15 says this, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. He said, each according to his ability. So what does that mean? So it shows that this master, this Lord that they called him, this Lord, he knew his servants. These weren't random people that he just threw money at. 
This was people that he knew. And you know, I, I think that's so beautiful because the Bible says that we're wonderfully and fearfully made. It doesn't say Christians are wonderfully and fearfully made. It says that people are wonderfully and fearfully made. God knows. He said, I, he told Jeremiah, I knew you before I put you together in your mother's womb. And it wasn't just Jeremiah. That's all of us. He knows us intimately. He knows those, listen, he knows those who don't even have a relationship with them. He knows them so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for them. Because that's what you have to understand. When Jesus died, none of us were alive. So Jesus was dying for our sins in the future, and he took care of all of them. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Thank God that he did. And he said, so this, this Lord... He knew the servants, and he knew, and what he did, listen, the the servant with the one, here's what I want you to get. The servant with the one said, I knew you were a hard man, so I took what you gave me, and I hid it in the ground. He knew that servant's ability. So even when he said, I knew you were hard, I knew that you have expectation. Listen, I'm telling you something. God has expectation. He's been stirring me in myself and in this church. And he said, there's been several areas you didn't have expectation. You've just been believing I'm good and I am good, but you didn't have expectation and you haven't seen growth because you didn't expect it to. So he said, there's some things you need to put in place so that you have expectation, that you have something that you're looking at, that you're seeing, that everyone's looking at, that everyone can relate to and say, yes, this is what it looks like to move forward. That's individual ministry. So I'm telling you, if you're involved in a ministry, the expectations are coming. Every ministry, blanket, across the church, every ministry, there's going to be expectations written out. So you know what's expected of you, because I know this, if there's something expected of you and you don't know it, you get frustrated. And if there's something expected of you, you know it and you don't do it, I get frustrated. That's not good for either of us. Amen. 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 So he knew this servant and he knew his ability. That should encourage us that God knows our ability. You know what's so cool about that? God's, he's requiring of me the ability that he knows that I have. Not what Ben has. Not what Josh has. Not what Emily has or Tim or male, that's not what he requires. He requires what he knows that I have the ability to do. And there's an expectancy on that. Not that I just get along. I just live safely and comfortably until death. But that I'm willing, knowing that God knows my ability. He doesn't limit my ability, right? In this story, he said to the one that was faithful, he gave him more. So as we're faithful, we start. Here's what I want you to understand. Your ability is your starting point. It's not your landing place. That's so good. So if you're a one-talent guy, a two-talent guy, a five-talent guy, that's not your accolade or title. That's your starting point. And God loves us so much that he knows that about us that he says, here's what I'm going to give you to do because I don't want it to overburden in you because I want you to be faithful with it. That's so good. That's, a, that's the good, good father that we were singing about. It's not just a good, good father because it's a good song. It's a good father that says, I'm going to put expectation on you because I know you can do it. You know, when I can pick on Brianna, she's not in here right now, and because she's my daughter. Uh, but when she was in school, she was very, very good academically. She, she graduated some cum laude, I don't know which one. I graduated, as I've said, thank you, Lottie. 
I got out, and I was thankful I got out. But even as she was in school, she was in advanced placement classes and all this, and she would come home, and she'd be upset because she had like an 80 or something. She says, it's going to mess up my average. And I'm like, I remember today. I would dance a jig for an 80. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Pentecostal shuffle. Because I got an 80. I had an 80 average in a class. I'm just saying. And I told her, I said, listen, here's my expectation of you, is that you do your best. It's not that you have a 4.0. That's awesome. She graduated with close to that. It's not that you have a 4.0. I'm not disappointed if you come in at a 3.5 or whatever. If you're doing the best that you can do to your ability and you're applying yourself, that's what makes me happy. Not, I'm not looking for a mark. God is not looking for us to reach a mark. What he's saying, I want you to take what I've placed on the inside of you, and I want you to work with it. It makes me happy when you work with it. And you know, when you're running and you stumble and you fall, I'm going to be there to pick you up, dust you off, put you a cool minion Band-Aid on it, and get you back on your way so that you can continue to do what I've called you to do. It's not to say, I can't believe you didn't do this. Can't you do better? You're a disgrace. You know who that is? That's the accuser. That's not the voice of God. The voice of God. He keeps saying this to me over and over in my time with him. Higher, higher still. Come up higher, higher still. I'm calling you higher. Come up higher, higher still. So what he, I just keep, if I get quieter, I get still. I hear the Lord saying, I'm calling you up higher. I'm calling you up higher. And if I call you up higher, are there more expectations? Absolutely. But you know what? There's more provision. There's more provision, and that's what he's saying. I'm calling you up higher. Come up higher. Come up higher. There's more room. There's room to grow, and there's more provision. You just have to come up higher. But there was something that stopped the servant from doing that. And, and I shared this last week, and this is Toddology. It's theology from Todd, if you want to know what Toddology is. It's extra biblical. It's not uh, anti-biblical or unbiblical. But I believe if these, three, if these three stewards were known by him, they were known by each other. Right? If he knew them, he knew the ability they had, then they probably served together so they knew one another. And I believe, and it's so, so beautiful when you start seeing it happen, I believe that community, you know, they'll say it takes a village to raise a child. I believe when you have community and people come together and they surround one another, they encourage and they strengthen one another. The Bible says that threefold cord is not easily broken, but we're stronger together. And I believe if the one with the two, even the one with two, who had twice as much as the one with one, if he would have reached out to the one with the one and said, look, dude, I know you buried that stuff. Don't do it. Just dig up half of it. Trust me. Just dig up half of it and let's go do something with it. I'll help you. Or the one with five said, look, here's what I'm doing over here, and I'm doubling what I'm doing. Just take some of that and put it with it. If he would have had a friend to come alongside him and say, you can do this. If, he, if you couldn't do it, he wouldn't have given it to you. You can do this. That's community. If you just come into church, do your thing, and leave, and you don't connect with anyone, you're robbing yourself, others, and God. Malachi said, how can a man rob God in tithes and offerings? But when we, don't, when we don't offer ourselves in community, we rob God. When we live so separated from a, a church body, those who are walking with us somewhere, and I'm telling you, we're going somewhere. 
those that are walking with you, when you pull yourself away from them, you can name it any kind of religious thing you want to, but when you separate yourself, you're robbing yourself, those in the church, and God. Because he said, don't forsake, Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So much more as you see the day approaching of his return. He's coming. And he's telling us that it's so important that we get connected and communed. I'm not, try- I'm not promoting anything other than a biblical lifestyle. That's what they did. The disciples, they went from house to house every day breaking bread. Every day they were having communion together. They were breaking bread together. They were doing life together. And it says the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was there and great miracles and wonders were done in their gatherings. He's so good. There's something that stopped the steward. Verse 24 says this, then he, said, then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. And that word hard there is a man of expectancy. You know, we can say that about others when they have expectations of others. Well, they're just hard, man. You can't please them. That's not true. You know what that is? That's an excuse that you've bought into so you can feel better about yourself by not trying to grow. <laughs> it's not hard. I'm not being hard. I'm just being honest. Because I've been there. I understand. I'm not preaching at you. I'm telling you. These are things the Lord is, in the past months has just been calling my, me out on because he loves me. Because he loves me. He said, I, he, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So basically what he was saying, I knew, I know that you were a guy that when you entrusted people with something, you expected increase. Because his Lord, his master, the, the owner of this stuff, he wasn't out the one investing the money. He wasn't the one out uh, doing the work. But he said, I know that you expect something out of it. But what stopped him? Listen. He said, were you in gathering? Were you not? And I was afraid. I was afraid. First John says, perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But as I was pressing into that, I got to, there's so many parallels here. When he talks about the Lord going, he said he went on a journey. He gave him this, uh, his money, his wealth. He divided it up among them. And he says he went on a journey. Uh, immediately, he went on a journey. And I, and I began to look in, in Matthew's gospel. I began to look in Mark's gospel. And when Jesus was there, and when he was there, in the, right when he was resurrected, and he, he went to his disciples, and he said, go make disciples of all nations. You know what he was doing? He said, I'm getting ready to leave to go on a journey. I'm giving you everything that I have. What did he have? His blood, the victory that he had bought back for man. He said, I'm getting ready to hand it all over to you. Now go do something with it. Be good stewards of it. So they went out, and we know, we know uh, as we read through Acts, you see that they went out, and then the Pharisees brought him in, and they asked him about this guy who would, they had gotten healed at the, at the gate called Beautiful, and they said, what happened? And they said, well, all I know is th- these two guys came up and said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have give to you, I give to you, rise up and walk. And he got up, and he walked, and he said, are you saying the Messiah? He said, you said it. He said, here's what I know. I couldn't walk, I can I was lame, and now I walk. And it said that they, they brought Peter and, and John in, and they reprimanded them. And Peter and John, when they went back to the disciples, they said, look, here's what happened. And there was, a, there was the opportunity for fear, but you know what they did? They prayed, and they asked God, God, give us boldness to be who you've called us to be. 
Lord, we want more boldness to do what you've called us to do. And the presence of the Lord came in and met them there. So instead of partnering with fear, they partnered with power. Ephesians chapter four, this is, we're gonna go from Ephesians four to Hebrews. Ephesians four says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Wait a minute. When Jesus was teaching in Matthew 25, he said he gave to each one according to their what? Their ability. Here in Ephesians 4, Paul writing, he said this, but to each one was grace, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he, has set, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts, unto men, gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That sounds like a Lord who says, look, here's my stuff. I've got to go somewhere. Did Jesus go somewhere? Yes. He didn't just go to the cross and die for our sins. When he resur- before he resurrected and came, he went to hell, took the keys from the devil, led captivity captive. That's what this is talking about in context, is that he set those Old Testament believers who had believed that he set them free. And he said he gave gifts unto men. That's him. That's our Lord. And he said, I've given you stuff. Now, what are you going to do with what I've given you? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So what is he saying is this, the authentic gospel, the gospel that, he, that we're to preach, he said, I don't just want you to do it in word, but you'll do it in deed. What is that? What are you talking about? That's what James was talking about when he said, if faith without works is dead. So he's saying this, we don't work for God, we work from what God has placed on the inside of us. Did he give gifts unto men? So therefore, everyone is qualified who has a relationship with him, right? Are you qualified to do what I'm doing? Are you required to do what I'm doing? No. No. Are you required to do what Mel's doing? No. You can be doing the same thing Mel's doing, but you're not required to do it like she does it. We're required to steward what he's given us, the gifts that he's given us. Verse five. For he has not put... Uh, the world, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take, that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor and have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Light bulb moment. He's talking about you and I, not Jesus. When he said you've crowned him with glory and honor, he's talking about us. He's talking about man because the hymn's not a big H. It's a little H. So therefore, he's talking about man. He's talking about you and I. He's crowned us with glory and honor, and he set us over the works. What does it say? You put, uh, you've set him over the works of your hands, capital Y, speaking of God, and you put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. 
But now we do not see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned him with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting for him, capital H, speaking of Jesus. So what is he saying here? In Hebrews here, what, Paul, what he's saying, I believe, Paul, what he's saying is this. He talked about us first. He said he's crowned us men with glory and honor. Not his glory. We won't take his honor. But he said, I've given you a place of authority. And I've put, it over, put you over all the works of my hand, the things that I've created. That's what God is saying right here. He said, and you put all things in subjection under our feet. Then he goes on to say, that's why Jesus came, because he came and he died for you. He set into motion this what I've put under your feet. God, see, in the beginning, God created Adam, and he, he created man in his image, and he created him to rule over everything. Adam sinned against God. He forfeited his birthright, gave it over to Satan. When Jesus came, God, right here, there's a declaration of who God sees us. It comes out of Psalms. This is who God sees us as. And he said, to make sure that that happens, I gave, the, I gave Jesus to come and die for your sin and your place so that you could rule and reign again, and I could give you back everything that was lost. That's a million dollars. That's a million dollars he's put, placed on the inside of us that we can rule and reign with him here on the earth as no one else, no other created being. Do you understand? We're the only creatures made that has articulate speech. You know, I said, we're the only ones that communicate. No, birds communicate, dogs. Yes, they do. But we're the ones that are given the authority of the tongue that can articulate speech and command things like he did. It says God spoke, didn't say he barked. He spoke and said, let there be light. Are you with me? That's what he's given to us. And he said, I want you to steward that. Keep going. For it was, verse 10, for it was fitting for him from whom all things and by whom all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will declare your name to my brothers, my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, the children whom God has given me. In so much that the children have been partake, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15, here's where I want to go, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He said, Jesus came. He partook of flesh and blood. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Why? To set us free from the fear of death. Now, fear of death has levels. There's the ultimate fear of death, which is dying, not living any longer on earth. But it's, it, there's so many levels of that that go even deeper than just that surface fear. And you go, that's the surface fear? Yeah, because the others disguise themselves. And uh, there's the fear of rejection, of if I stand up and I use my talent for the Lord, what will people think? If I step out and I do it wrong, I might be rejected, or I might not be accepted. And we allow those fears, we allow that 
rejection because the whole thing is it's part of me when you and you know you can say what you want to but if you step out and it don't turn out exactly like you want to there's a part of you that can die what do you mean there's a part of you that says i won't do that again so what you did you just killed that part of you i won't ever do that again because it didn't look like what i thought it was going to look like i didn't get the results i thought i was going to get so you allow that part and that might be the part that god's going to bring your dream through and you allow it to die through what through fear of man and he's saying all their lives, listen, how powerful is that? He wanted to release those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So if you've allowed things, if as life happens, there are things that happen. And if we don't give those things to Jesus, we allow a part of us to die. And that death that we allow brings bondage. There's that area of our life that we want to give to the Lord, but we're bound in because we won't let go of it because we've, it's dead to us. And the Lord is saying, I'm wanting to speak life into those areas that have died so that I can redeem them, so that they don't have authority over you anymore. Because he's left, I don't want to say left us here, he's commissioned us in this day. We're, I think we're in the most exciting time in church history. There's a lot that's taken place. I think there's a lot more that can take place. As Romans talks about, that the creation itself is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. Those who cast off the fear of death and they live fearlessly. And I didn't say foolishly. I said fearlessly. Who say, Jesus, I'm going to pursue you. And if there's things that, that need to die, let them die. But if there's things that I've allowed to die because of fear, there are things that I put down and said, I can't do that because of fear. I won't step out in that because of fear. I feel like the Lord is saying, I want to bring light. I want to resurrect those things because your destiny is tied to them. When we allow him to speak life into us, when others have, maybe even others have, have spoken death over you in an area. And I'm not just talking about your physical life. Please hear beyond your physical life. Because I believe most people die spiritually or emotionally before they ever die physically. They give up the will to live. They give up the live to strive, to, to thrive, and they just make it striving. The enemy will steal dreams, and he'll tell you this lie. It's always going to be like this. It's never going to get any better. And if we're not careful, we'll surround ourselves with people who will say the same thing to us. And all they do is enable us to stay in the pit. And God says, I want, I want you to come up higher still, higher still, because I want to redeem those things that the enemy said will never happen. I want to redeem them and tell you, yes, it can happen. Not just can it happen. In my mind, it's already happened. All I want you to do is partner with it. That's how good he is. And he says, I've, I know your ability. So we should be free just in that, that God knows what I'm capable of doing. And he said that I, he's not a, a taskmaster that will demand of you what you can't do. But what he will do is stretch you into what you don't think you can do. He'll call you into a place that you didn't know that you were capable of being into, being in. And as he does, it's that invitation into from glory, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, from glory to glory. It's an invitation that says, I want to take you higher. I want to take you further. I want to reveal more of who I am to you. And it's for everyone. He knows us. That should be comforting. God knows me. And he said, I've placed on the inside of you the, the ability to succeed. 
And you go, well, I don't feel like it. Thank God we don't go by feelings. Or do we? Is that why we're where we are? Amen, oh me. Many times we do. We allow feelings to lead us in a place that we shouldn't be. Or we allow feelings to hold us back from a place we should be. You know what that is? That's fear. And he said, perfect love. How do we, know, how do we get to know perfect love? Spend time with him. Here's my challenge. He knows us. Just as the, the Lord in Matthew 25 knew his stewards and knew what they were capable of, he knows us. And here's what he's saying today. I know you, I want you to get to know me. How do we get to know him? What did he tell the one that had the two? What did he tell the one that had the five? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over much. I said this last week. I'll close to say it again this week. If I'm a two-talent leader and Tina's a five-talent leader, He's not requiring me to do what he's requiring her to do. But if I'll be faithful with what he's requiring me, I get the same reward she does. Let's just make it practical. I'm working on the job, and I got two people under me, and I'm supposed to take care of these two people, make sure they're doing their job, and they're doing it right, and everything's going right. But Tina's got five people under her. I'll just tell you, I'm not a good manager, I, I got to have somebody that's assertive and strong that I don't have to lead around. Sometimes that's what management is. Come on, let's go over here. Let's go over here. I'm not saying always, but sometimes that's what it is. Let's go over here. Let's go over here. So if I had two, I'd be happy. If I have five, there's more frustration for me. There's five people I got to keep up with in their personalities, their individuality. Help them, Jesus. But if I'm faithful with my two, the boss looks at me with my two, and he looks at her with her five, and he goes, y'all are both good. I'm going to promote both of you. If your eyes weren't on him and you didn't know him, she could be upset because I came out on the good end. So what are you saying? I'm saying this. If you don't see yourself like somebody else, don't be upset. Be excited. Say, God, I thank you that this is what you've placed in my lap right now. This is what you're required. And God, I'm going to be faithful what you've given me because I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You were faithful in a little. I will make you ruler over much. You know why I'll make you ruler over much? Because he equipped you in the journey. He equipped you in the journey. And that's his blessing on each of us. He says, I'm, in, I'm equipping you in the journey. I'm not waiting for you to get here so you can do something. I'm equipping you as you go. That's why when the two got there, he said, well done, good and faithful. I'm going to make you ruler over much because through the whole journey of being faithful with the two, he was learning how to be faithful with more. God said, that's where I want to take you. That's what he wants to do with us. He's taken us somewhere for his honor and his glory, but he's placed that in us so that we can shine for him right now, not someday or one day. And it's it starts with that freedom to say, Jesus, I give you my heart. Every bit of me I give to you because I know that you're a good father, that you're a good master, and that you love me.